Welcome to the Monday Morning Phone Call podcast. Every preacher knows when they're teetering on the edge of a topic that will result in receiving a phone call on Monday morning. Instead of backing away, this podcast exists to work through these polarizing ideas and spark conversation. In each episode, we'll be covering a different topic that hopefully we'll be able to address with more nuance and depth than we might be able to in a weekend service. We'd love for this platform to be the start of the conversation, and hopefully it sparks more in-depth dialogue with your friends, family, coworkers, and neighbors. Hi, we're the hosts of this show. I'm Paul Joslin. And I'm Alyssa Frisbee. This season of the Monday Morning Phone Call Podcast is a season all about fear. We live in a fear-driven society, and it is the motivation to so many of our decisions. Why is that? As people of faith, we are told 365 times, a day for each day of the year, throughout scripture to fear not, and yet it secretly grabs a hold of our lives. The first two episodes of this season, we address fear of death and fear of government corruption, two types of fear that stem from being afraid. Today, we're pivoting and discussing the fear of God, the type of fear that is displayed through reverence and respect. We live in a culture where the name of God is spoken so casually, most of us don't have any idea we speak when we utter the words, oh my God, or for God's sake. But in scripture, the Jewish people wouldn't even speak God's name. Part of our conversation today is to take time to contemplate his glory, holiness, and unconditional love, and what it means to be afraid of God. Awesome. So as we dive in, Alyssa, uh, throughout this series, we've been talking about all of the different things that really the Bible tells us we shouldn't be afraid of. So one of the things we've come up with is that 365 times the Bible says, do not be afraid. Um, And so today feels kind of like a weird pivot because we're actually talking about something we should be afraid of. Um, So can you tell us a little bit about what we should be afraid of scripturally? Yes. Um, According to these notes that you wrote me, the Bible (laughs) uses the word fear um, about 300 times to talk about God. So it would be a mistake to not address that piece of our relationship, that we should be afraid of God. Yeah, Um, absolutely. Even though that is not really part of our culture, which obviously we're going to talk about today. Yeah, I think it's fascinating because there's a a lot of things we've been talking about in this season uh, that we shouldn't be afraid of. Mm Um, And then now it's one that we should be afraid of. And scripture actually commands like the fear of God. It even says that the fear of God is the root of all wisdom or wise Mm. living. Um, So that'll be interesting. I think that that can feel kind of incongruent or a little difficult to understand why we're supposed to be afraid of God, what that means. So So luckily... We have our fearless leader here. That's right. I like how you did that fearless leader. That was good. (laughs) Yeah. Right? (laughs) Um, Because it does feel uncomfortable, um, the idea of fearing God. And so Larry is here to Uh, kind of give us some wisdom, some comfort in this situation, all the answers. Um, Because I have this totally figured out. Right? Right? (laughs) That's what it means to be a senior pastor, right? right. I'm learning that. (laughs) Awesome. Um, so yeah, it does. I do feel like Larry, it can feel a little incongruent um, this idea of, of fear of God. Um, I know that, that Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of the, the quotes I found was he said, that is the first commandment. The entire gospel is the fear of God instead of the, f- the many things which you fear. Um, he goes on to say, this is a dangerous statement. How can we fear the God who identifies himself as love? And I think really when you get at the core of this idea of the fear of God, that's the piece that feels incongruent. How could we fear something uh, that we love that is defined as God is love? And yet, um, and First John says that perfect love casts out all fear, and yet the Bible commands us to 
fear God. Mm -hmm. So it feels like there's a little bit of a, a cognitive dissonance in those two. Mm -hmm. um, what are some of your thoughts on that, or how would you help us maybe make sense <laughs> of that? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a that's a really great tension. It yeah. is, and um, so I think it's part of it gets to definitions of mm -hmm. words. So we and we'll do this. We need to define what the word fear means. Yeah, that's great. And then I even think it's important to define what love means mm -hmm. because I, again, as we think, I think both within the church and even in our culture. Those words, especially love, uh, is pretty vague yeah. right now, yeah, and so we can define both those. So I, I think starting the fear of God. Um, yeah, because because when I hear the word fear, I think imminent threat. Like right, there's yeah. a danger to my life. There's a threat to someone I love. Yeah. Um, that's what I think of with fear. I, I think of seeing like a snake in the grass. Or, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. like yeah. so. Is that the connotation that the Bible has, or? Yes and no. Okay. I, I mean, I do think there's situations in the Bible where um, people have encountered the presence of God or had an exposure to Him, and it's been traumatizing, if not deadly. Mm. Um, I think one of the most famous in the First Testament was uh, Uzzah, mm. and in 2 Samuel 6, they were transporting the Ark of the Covenant. Remember, the Ark of the Covenant was where the presence of God actually yeah. uh, visited, and um, Unfortunately, they had forgotten a lot of things. Uzzah was a priest, a Kohathite. He should have known this. He was probably learned this as a boy, that first of all, you never, ever touch the ark. Mm. In Numbers, it specifically says, if you touch this, you will die, mm. wow. um, Numbers 4. And in, uh, I think it's First Chronicles 15, it talks about when, they, when you transport the ark, you were supposed to put poles, mm -hmm. long poles. The ark actually had little rings built into it. So you'd slide the poles through the rings and you'd carry it on shoulders. Mm -hmm. The reason being that you would never, ever have to touch the ark. Mm -hmm. So David, King David, wants to move the ark up to his city, and um, they have this new technology called uh, a wagon with wheels. <laughs> <laughs> and they put the ark on this wagon, and of course an oxen stumbled, and Uzzah just instinctively probably mm. reaches up yeah. to steady the ark, and he's dead in a second. Mm. And our first yeah. response to that is like, whoa, yeah. I mean... That's just, it doesn't seem fair. All he was trying to do was protect God's presence. He had every good intention <laughs> right. of trying to do the right thing. But, uh, you know, what do we take away from that? Don't touch the ark. Mm. I mean, even even well-intentioned, um, in, in, well-intentioned, if they're disobedient, it's still mm. disobedience. Mm. And um, there's consequences mm. to that. But I, but I do think as a result of incidents like that is where we kind of come up with this don't mess with God yeah. kind of a pr approach that uh, I think can be scary. Yeah, so so I, I think from that story you're kind of hinting at that, that there yeah. should be a sense of, of fear of God and that, um, you know, when you hear stories of God smiting people, yeah. <laughs> yeah. that feels very foreign to us and yeah. feels very unfair, unjust, feels like it it's uh, something that if God is loving, how could he be a God who... So there's there's definitely definitely a mystery in this that I think it feels yeah. feels hard for us to understand. Alyssa, as you hear that story um, from first Sam, or Second Samuel 6, what are, what's kind of your initial response? Um, yeah, that it does feel like he just had good intentions. Mm -hmm. and, you know, and I was thinking through, like, what... What did God want to happen? The ark to just fall on on the ground? Like right. that feels not great either. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but I think so. Go ahead. Well, just, but that's the intention. Or us yeah. he was wrong to think that the dirt was dirtier than his hands. 
oh. as a sinner. Wow. He was dead wrong. <laughs> no pun intended, but dead wrong. Uh, to it's okay. Think it's that. a couple thousand years ago. We <laughs> yeah. can laugh at it exactly. now. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he made some assumptions in the moment. Again, probably by instinct, but mm-hmm. he assumed his hands were cleaner than the dirt, mm-hmm. and that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Um, a sinful person in a in our current condition, we cannot mm-hmm. touch God and live. Wow. Yeah. That's, uh, that's he is holy other. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a really hopeful way to, to look at that. I guess mm-hmm. the, the follow-up question is, so you said yes and no to this idea that, that God's presence is an imminent threat, that that's what mm-hmm. we mean when we fear him. What's mm-hmm. the, the no part of that yeah. definition of fear? Well, the no part is that through Christ, mm-hmm. um, that kind of fear uh, is dismantled mm-hmm. because he has given us the righteousness, the fitness that we can and one day will mm. live in God's presence physically, face mm. to face, uh, because of um, you know our redemption. Mm. So we don't have to fear being dismantled um, permanently, ultimately, okay. by God because of what Jesus has done for us. Mm. So, and that's where I think it's it's a tension, right? I, it's um. Uh, I brought some uh, books here. I know you can't see it on a podcast. <laughs> one of the classic books is The Idea of the Holy by Rudolf Otto. Mm-hmm. And he, he has this phrase that's always stuck with me called the mysterium tremendous. Mm-hmm. And this idea of God's holiness is this, is this mystery. And he talks about it's both this idea that even after we know God, we still have to respect him more mm-hmm. and his holiness, his otherness more than we respect anything else. Um, but at the same time, we don't fear it hmm. because Christ has, through his forgiveness our sins and, and giving us Jesus' righteousness, we don't have to fear being in God's presence. Hmm. Um, because of what Christ has done. Because of what Christ work. has done, yeah. So that leads me to think of kind of the common question you hear from people at times is that, that God is wrath and Jesus is, is kind or right. merciful or good. And so... Um, how do, does this conversation of, of fear and love of God not kind of then divide down into, okay, God's the wrathful one and mm-hmm. Jesus is the merciful one. And so because of what he's done, we can enter into the presence of this unjust, wrathful God who smites people yeah. because they're unclean. Yeah. How do we kind of handle that? And that's where I, you, what you said earlier is that um, we have to define love mm. in, in, in a, with a biblical definition uh, for Christianity. And so... I think the idea of love there uh, in the in the scriptures is doing what's best for the other person. It's not this notion where we always tolerate, mm-hmm. where we make some kind of cream of wheat God that we always agree with and he always agrees with us, mm-hmm. but rather he is uh, 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 going to do what's best for us at all costs, mm-hmm. and including the death of his own son. Mm-hmm. And so that's what frames love. Um, and so this idea that then God loves us means he's willing to do what's best for us, to the, even to the point of giving his son mm-hmm. for us. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I answered your original question on that. No, I, I think yeah. that's helpful because I, I do think that um, we, we tend to think of, I've, I've said this before, but we tend to think of God as like a, a bipolar God yeah. or something, right? <laughs> that, oh, with like right. multiple personalities or, yeah, or yeah. that like Jesus is God after he went to therapy. That's a good line. Yeah, that like God yeah. is is this, you know, unjust, wrathful, vengeful yeah. um, person uh, or being, and then Jesus is the the kind of softer edge of him, and and I think what I hear you saying is that there's an interplay, a, a interrelationship between the two, 
um, that that we can't separate without losing sight of the other. Exactly. Plus, I would make the point that I think in the First Testament, you also see moments of deep love in the midst of holiness. So I think Mm. of uh, Exodus 33 and 34, when Moses says to God, show me Mm. your glory. And God says, I can't do that. Mm. And you live. But what I'll do is tuck you into these rocks. I'll actually put put my hand over you. And (laughs) I don't know how to interpret, but I'll show you my tail end. (laughs) Um, That to me is just like a radical mercy that God does want to be known Mm. and revealed himself. So he protects Moses through it, but gives him a glimpse. No, that's helpful. Yeah. You know, as a, as you're saying that, I'm thinking, Alyssa, we were talking earlier about the, the you know the 365 times God tells us not to be afraid, and then the 300 times that it tells us to fear God. Um, and, and you were asking, or is there any relation between the two? And I, at first, I didn't see the relation, but I actually, as you were saying that, Larry, there's so many times when God shows up in His holiness, mm-hmm. and and maybe this is the, this is the point. This is the point. The point you were, point you were making, Alyssa, so forgive me for stealing it. He shows up and he says, do not be afraid. Yeah. The angels tell. And so there's this mercy even in the holiness of God coming down to us to be met. So sorry, did I steal that this stuff? That was I, the oh, point that I was making. That's right. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> yeah, that's great. That point resonates yeah. with you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, because we were talking about the obviously the fact that there's 365. And I was wondering, of the 365, are 300 not being afraid of God? And mm, what is, I see. you know. Is it actually, oh gosh, 665 <laughs> times of being fear-related, or is it right. um, separate? So yeah. that's kind of what I was trying to ask about. Yeah. yeah, and I do think there's some some interlay uh, over those. So, um, you know, one of the things often when you talk about the fear of God is that uh, fear can also mean, um, like it, it can mean fear, but it can also mean reverential mm-hmm. uh, kind of uh, awe. Um, so how does that play into this conversation? Cause I think that's the, sometimes people go to that place to like soften the blow mm. of God's mm. holiness. But, mm. um, how would you kind of see that reverential awe playing a role in this idea of, of fear of God? You go. Okay. You, don't look at me. You go. Well, yeah. I, you know, and I've wrestled with this, even yeah. pre- preparing for this, I've, I've really tried to to figure out more what I think about this. And I, I still, I guess I'm claiming Otto's phrase, Mysterium Tremendous, mm. because I do think throughout Scripture, whenever a person kind of uh, encounters God without veil, like, mm. uh, I mean, Jesus came in flesh, he, God was veiled, um, but they left really shaken. Mm. You know, you think of Ezekiel and Ezekiel 1 after he had the vision of the glory of God coming down. It's said that he fell on his face. He couldn't get up. Mm. Um, I, I, I came across some other... Habakkuk said after he got a word from God, he said, I heard and my heart pounded, my lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept in my bones and my legs trembled. Oh, or you think of... description. Yeah, or Job after God walks him through basically a grand tour of the whole creation and says... Were you there when I did any of this? Yeah. <laughs> and then Job says, I despise myself. I repent mm. in dust and ashes. Mm. Um, and then Isaiah, you know, the, the classic, when the, um, he sees the cherubim and the seraphim, he says, woe is me, I'm ruined. Mm. So I think when people have an encounter with the holiness of God, it shakes them to the core. Mm. And I'm not sure we ever get over that or should. Mm. Um, but in that, it's, it's not like they have a... Um, 
they're scared of God for the rest of their life. Yeah. It, it actually takes them to a new place and a, and a different relationship with God or renewed relationship. So mm. the holiness is actually becomes part of their growth mm. um, after an encounter with God like that. Mm. So let me let me illustrate. Yeah, with it. please. Uh, we, we were talking about snakes yeah. and bears, <laughs> and I was telling Paul earlier. I've actually had an encounter with a bear uh, oh out hiking up near Netherland. Yeah. Um, uh, we were just walking along, my f- a friend and I, and uh, within uh, one kind of crossed right in front of us, uh, about twenty yards on the path, stopped, stood up, hands up, and just stared at us <laughs> oh for gosh. like thirty <laughs> seconds. You know, and your whole life flashes yeah. before your eyes, and they get, oh no, I'm. I'm <laughs> I, what was me? Yeah. I'm ruined. <laughs> but what was funny, well, funny, I mean, so, and the, the short story was the bear didn't want anything to do with us. It was got afraid back of on you. all fours and yeah. walked away. It was afraid of us. Yeah. Yeah, we'll claim that. And, um, but every step that I took after that, I saw brown hmm. everywhere. Everywhere yeah. I looked, it was brown. Hmm. Every noise I heard was a bear. Yeah. You know, so it's like this idea of once you've encountered God, you you have a whole new experience in mm-hmm. life where you see things differently. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Uh, His vastness, His control, His purity. Yeah. Um, and so I want to make sure before we move on that you, because I know we said we were going to define fear. So yeah. I want to hear the Larry Renault <laughs> definition of fear. Yeah. yeah. Again, I, I would say there's a healthy fear mm-hmm. and, and an unhealthy fear. Mm-hmm. The, the healthy fear is a deepest respect, reverential awe mm-hmm. for the holiness of God. For And I would, holiness is kind of that one attribute that catches all of his attributes mm-hmm. that says he is someone beyond our imagination, beyond description. He is holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy other. Mm-hmm. And he's in a different category. You know, we're human beings. Hank and Helen are human beings. <laughs> Fido's a dog. An oak is a tree. Uh, Earth is a planet. Milky Way is one of a billion galaxies. Mm-hmm. But only God is God. Mm. He is in a category by himself. Mm. And to fear that is to hold that in the highest respect, Mm. such that it shapes our behavior Mm -hmm. and forms our thoughts and changes the way we live, where you see brown everywhere Mm. because Mm. because you've seen God that way. Mm. Unhealthy fear. Yeah. I would maybe use an illustration from church history, Martin Luther. Mm Mm-hmm. Before Luther came to know Jesus, he was actually a Catholic monk, mm-hmm. and um, he was he was a trained lawyer who, to the deep disappointment of his father, went into the monastery. And in the monastery, and this is again before his heart had been set be free by Christ and grace, he s- would spend six hours a day confessing his sins wow. in a monastery. I mean, how what could what how much sin can you get into in a monastery? Like, <laughs> yeah. you, would you covet that? Do they have cell phones? Fa- well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or the Father George got the last potato salad, yeah. and yeah. you have to confess that. There, I mean, there's amazing stories told about him doing it for like hours, and then wow. forgetting one, and having to call the the uh, his men, his priest back and confess it again. His priest tried to kick him out of the monastery. Say, that priest had yeah. to be so annoyed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And, and it, it built to a climax, this famous scene in Luther's life where he uh, gets through all the monk training, and then he's to do his first mass. 
And he's in front of all his monks. He's in front of his mentor. He's in front of his family, especially his dad. He and his dad had a very wounding, wounded relationship, mm -hmm. but he was trying to impress his father. But he gets to that pinnacle moment in the Catholic Mass when in the, the Catholics believe in transubstantiation, when the bread and the cup actually become the body of Christ. Luther froze. As soon as he said those words, he froze because he realized that he was holding the glory of Jesus, yeah. and, mm -hmm. and he, he was scared to death, and it was the most you know embarrassing mm -hmm. moment of his life. Mm -hmm. um, it ended up that he ended up staying in the monastery longer, all this. Uh, mm -hmm. So what happened was, uh, I don't know, it was months later, maybe a year later, he had to preach uh, or, or give a homily on a verse from Romans 1, 117, okay. the just shall live by faith. And he actually had a conversion experience when he was reading Augustine's commentary mm -hmm. on Romans 1. And Augustine was saying that this is how the heart is set free from the massive fear of God, mm -hmm. um, because the just shall live. But when you have faith in God, there's now a relationship and he becomes a father and not uh, a scary divine. Mm -hmm. And uh, that changed the whole direction of Luther's life. And mm -hmm. so unhealthy fear would be that kind of fear where you're always thinking God's going to kill you, where, where you're scared of him, where he's so massive and big that you could never have relationship with him. Mm -hmm. And all he wants to do is like press you down mm -hmm. the whole time. And gr for you, like growing up, did you feel like your church kind of held that like wrath and love intention well or uh, where? That's a good question. Yeah. What, did, what did you grow up? Tell me about your childhood, Larry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I grew up in a pretty um, strict uh, Christian upbringing. It mm -hmm. was called the General Association of Regular Baptists. Oh, that's a mouthful. There you go. It was a mouthful. Um, you know, when I think about maybe a moment when I experienced a bit of being shook mm -hmm. by the, the massive character of God, it was actually part of my conversion experience. I was a boy of nine years old, and I don't remember what the text was the pastor was preaching, but he'd mentioned hell. And it wasn't like a fire and brimstone kind of threatening with the hell, but I had this realization as a nine-year-old that whatever hell was, Jesus wouldn't be there. Mm -hmm. And so if I wanted to live with Jesus, if I wanted to know the Heavenly Father, I needed Jesus. So um, I walked down after the church service was dismissed, and my mom came, fought, was wondering what I was doing. But she came down with me, and I prayed to receive Jesus right there. But to me, that was a moment of understanding kind of at least some part of the holiness of God, and that if I was to have any chance of living with God forever, it would be because I, I chose Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I don't know that that was like life changing trauma mm. to me, but it was a respect that, I mean, Jesus has this classic line. There's this really troubling story. I think it's in Luke 13 when he, people ask him, the Tower of Siloam falls and kills, I think it was 18 people. Mm -hmm. And they say, well, what did these people do that God would punish them like that? And what you want to hear Jesus say is, well, these, these people, they didn't deserve it. Um, it was an accident, all, all this. And <laughs> what Jesus says was that unless you repent, you too will never know me or my Father. 
That's what he said. And we don't like that, but that's, that's the truth. That, you know, he, he doesn't answer those kinds of questions. What he does say is we're all in the same position before God. And without Jesus, we won't make it. Wow. Yeah. That makes me think a couple of times in what you're saying there, Larry, you mentioned the the word trauma of, of like God's holiness and how it, um, it, it can traumatize us. It shakes us. I, I imagine for a number of people listening, when we, we tell some of these stories or talk about some of these verses, um, there's a unhealthy trauma yeah, that yeah. happens with some of that because of some of the ways different denominations have presented that material. Or, you know, I think it, you mentioned fire and brimstone. Yep. Some of that preaching has been very damaging mm-hmm. for a lot of people. Where's the, what's the, um, the tension there? I think we keep talking about the tension yeah. around fear of God, but, but how do we handle that, um, with grace? Uh, yeah. If, if the fear of God is supposed to cause trauma, the holiness of God is supposed to cause trauma uh, so that we can repent. Yeah, yeah. How do we hold that in tension with the, some of the other traumas people carry from some mm-hmm. of the ways those things are taught? Mm-hmm. Great question, Paul. Um, some of it is what you lead with, I think. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I think some of the ways those, this, those ways have been destructive in the church is that you lead with, you know, whether it be hell or the fire and brimstone, mm. you kind of lead. Uh, whereas I think the better place to start is with holiness, mm. with understanding who God is. And that he, you know, he's in a category by himself uh, in terms of purity and uh, being. Mm. Starting there, and then it goes from there to knowing who we are, and that you know we can't keep the great commandment for five minutes. Mm. I mean, we're we're troubled. Mm. We're 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 fallen. And but here's what I think helps with the trauma piece is that the whole reason Jesus came was to bring us home. Yeah. Um, he's, he's the one that turns the trauma into welcome and mm. forgiveness and acceptance. Yeah. He accepts us, um, through Christ and what Jesus has done. So, yeah. no, I think mm. that that's well said. It, it also makes me think that I think this is one of the reasons why different motifs for the work of Christ mm-hmm. are, are really helpful. And yeah. so, you know, atonement, um, is great, uh, to a point or, or penal substitution mm-hmm. that can get you so but there's also you know the degree to which um sin and and our lack of holiness is being seen as a disease yeah and that christ came to heal yeah. um i think that can, well said. can yeah. put a different um mm-hmm. emphasis on it to where sometimes we can we can have so much emphasis but if we look at the world and its brokenness and the the trauma that we all experience because of sin and death and darkness the idea that jesus is the one who has the purity and the holiness to redeem, heal, cleanse those things Mm -hmm. uh, through his work, then I think it it puts it in a, sometimes we can just go the moral route Mm -hmm. of we do bad things and so we deserve punishment. But there's also a a narrative in scripture that the world is broken and we are subject to that and Christ Mm -hmm. has come to heal us and set us free. And -hmm. and so I think that's where some of these different motifs can can play well off of each other to kind of provide a, a broader, a more in-depth picture of what Christ has done. It, it kind of is like taking it from a, a black and white like TV a, to, to like a, yeah, yeah, to like a color high def, 4K, yeah. high def, <laughs> like, yeah, kind of TV. That's true. It's um, a good analogy. Yeah. 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 Um, so then I guess uh, 
we've covered a lot of ground. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we, we've been moving, yeah. trekking through this. Yeah. Um, you know, Alyssa, to your question, I, I was kind of curious what kind of your experience was with this growing up. We, we got Larry's story. What, was there an emphasis in some of the denominations or church you grew up with fear of God, wrath of God versus his love? And what was that like for you? Um, I mean, I grew up at Bear Valley, which is like the mom church of Waterstone. So I feel like <laughs> I need to kind of be careful. Um, but Don't I, upset grandma too much. Exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> um, is that Nick or who, who's, who's grandma in this scenario? Um, but I, I feel like just growing up, maybe it was like growing up in the 90s, mm. that it was a lot like Jesus is our friend. Mm-hmm. And that was, um, you know, I remember journaling a lot, like, dear dad, and like telling <laughs> Jesus about yeah. these things that that... Um, that it took me until probably college to really fully realize um, the holiness mm. of, of God. Mm. Um, and I keep thinking of the quote, Larry, and you're going to have to remind me um, about Aslan, that like yeah. what Mr. Beaver says that um, like he's not he's safe. He's not safe. But yeah. he's good. He's good. Right? Yeah. And so yeah. I just, mm. and I think that I just That's kind of, a great quote right. for this, Alyssa. Right. Yeah. But I just, I just keep thinking about that, that, um, And I'm remembering this uh, class in college, like even that um, we we had this whole philosophical discussion about the fact that the mountains might have even been a result of sin because Mm. of like the fact of like breaking of the earth that that Mm. wouldn't wasn't what God intended, and um, just thinking like how beautiful the mountains are and how God has even restored this Mm. the Mm. world in that way and just how much more amazing. Um, God and what God has intended is. And I just think mm. that when you're in the mountains, you feel so small. Like, I just mm. think that that's when I'm just feel really in awe of God is when I'm, I just feel so tiny. I'm just a little Polly pocket. Um, <laughs> and I guess Larry, you don't know what those are cause you I, never had girls, I, but I, just like very, just very tiny. Yeah. Um, yeah that's really when I feel mm. that um, reverential awe. Yeah. That's fascinating because I, I think in some ways we kind of had a, an opposite journey, even though we're about the same age. I grew up in a culture that was much more uh, bent on the the um, strictness of, mm. of the rules and following God and, and his wrath. And um, I think I, I there was a lot I had to deconstruct that, that mm. like when bad things happen in my life, it's not necessarily because I had some sin when I was 15. Yeah. Um, but that was some of the fear that I, I lived with. Um, and so... For me, the awakening was kind of moving from this holy God that was untouchable and and unapproachable and beyond to this idea that Jesus intercedes and makes that connection possible, Um, which, again, I think is why I'm kind of drawn to some of those motifs of like healing and stuff, Mm -hmm. because I think that that's what Jesus brought to this this view of God that I still at times have to, to deconstruct that, mm-hmm. that, you know, if a bad thing happens, it, it doesn't necessarily mean it's because I had some sin that I didn't spend six hours confessing mm-hmm. to, yeah. <laughs> right. to the monk. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I think that's one of the complicating factors with this conversation is yeah. there really is so much um, different baggage that can really come with this idea of fear of God and how do we um, present God uh, in his purest form without, you know, having our baggage disrupt that too much either because right. then it, it leads to a place where we're not presenting God as holy. Um, any thoughts on, on either of those experiences? I, I'm sitting here thinking just, you know, how, what are the different practical ways we can experience mm. uh, the holiness of God? Um, 
I think, you know, one of those ways is corporate worship. Mm. Uh, but I th- unfortunately, I think the American church in, in its present state struggles with that. Because I've, as you said earlier, Alyssa, I think we're really enamored with God and Jesus as, you know, our, our Savior and yeah. our friend. And, and all that's appropriate. It mm-hmm. truly is. I mean, we are children of God, and we can feel mm-hmm. that closeness as a child does to their loving parent. Um, but at the same time, God is still wholly other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, so part of the the experience of the ancient church has been moments when you experience it's called the transcendence mm. of god and um you know ways of doing that have varied throughout church history it, right now we're and i include waterstone in this i just don't think we're very good at it yeah we don't great. create that kind of space we don't take time to reflect on how huge and pure god yeah. is yeah I, uh, I was uh listening to a worship um, pastor recently, and he was talking about how so much of our worship experience, uh, contextually and, and present worship, is about a concert experience yeah. that, that we're supposed to be drawn into. This kind of there's a reverential piece to it, but it but it's really about an individual experience of being drawn into this kind of connection and communion with God. But most of it is is based on um, God's love. And familiarity rather than his transcendence mm-hmm. and so what, what he's advocating for is that we've got to recapture a sense of of cathedral in mm-hmm. our worship mm-hmm. and he wasn't meaning necessarily like we need to reconstruct like the, <laughs> the sistine chapel mm-hmm. in littleton um but that the, there was a, a reverence and an awe and the the story of who god is and his holiness is presented through different mediums mm-hmm. um that are, that are meant to elevate us to recognize that god is not um the same as us. Yeah. And when you look mm. at the instructions for things like the temple mm. in the Old Testament, yeah. um, a lot of that was to try to demonstrate that that God is different yeah. than mm-hmm. who we are. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes we interpret difference as distant, um, which I don't right. think is, is always uh, exactly. what, what God is, is trying to intend. But I think if we could work at recapturing some of that cathedral, that transcendence, then I, I think that could, could help us go mm-hmm. a long way in, in moving past some of the God is my daddy kind of thing. Well, I think that's what's so hard is that, you know, because I think a lot about these um, more cathedral, quote-unquote, churches that have a lot of liturgy and um, liturgy? Liturgy. Did I add an extra syllable? You were good. Okay, (laughs) cool. Just (laughs) making sure. Um, But then it it can so quickly turn to legalism. And so it's how do you create this... um, view of holiness that's not about like checking boxes and reading these things but genuinely um viewing it that way and that just feels really tricky yeah that's a really good point i it when i was kind of reading up um for this podcast one of the things that i was reading about is how fear is an unhelpful motivator or Mm -hmm. that it's a very powerful motivator Mm -hmm. um very very powerful motivator and that to your point larry if you see a bear you have motivation to survive. You're shocked. Like it it works. Um, I had a similar story, but it's less cool because I saw a snake on a walk. And then after that, every snake I saw was a twig Um, (laughs) or like every twig I saw was a snake. (laughs) Right. And so um, less cool, but same. Uh, Yeah. And, and it can be a helpful motivator in the moment. They even talk about people after they have a heart attack, 
they'll be very motivated to eat healthier or stop smoking. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you look at their lives six months down the line, and that has actually not changed very much about their habit. Um, so fear is a, a powerful motivator for the initial interaction. Mm-hmm. But then beyond that, a more powerful motivation is love. And I think that's a really helpful thing mm-hmm. in this conversation about the transcendence and holiness of God is that I think so many times the fear of God uh, causes us to recognize our blemishes or mm-hmm. our fallenness or our, mm-hmm. our sickness, the way sin has, yeah. has harmed us. Um, if we stay too long in that state, it's just defeatist. Yeah. It's yeah. Just, it it's, and that's when it turns into legalism. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And so we've got to move to that place where the relationship, there, there's a healthy understanding of the fear. Um, but to, uh, to your point, Alyssa, to move out of legalism, I think there has to be an emphasis on the love. And, and so they really have to yeah. be... Again, held in tension. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> Did I read this in your your uh, pre-production notes, Paul? But that, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Love is the completion of wisdom. Yeah. Was that you? That's a good line. If that's you, I'll quote you on that. I yeah. I'm trying to remember if I wrote it or I read it. So we'll yeah. just say I I read it. <laughs> so I don't take healthy, credit yeah. for someone else. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, I think there there is something to that that. Fear begins part of the, the relationship, but if it stays there, then it, yep. it does turn into unhealthy. And the, you, we all know people who have been stuck living in that, that place that they cannot experience grace. Mm-hmm. They don't know God's love, um, and they live in fear. Yeah. Um, and that's a miserable life. I don't think yeah. that's a life Jesus has, has called us to. I think he, he's called yeah. to more than that. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I, I'd love to to give a couple points and get your guys' feedback and thoughts on is that as I was thinking about this conversation of healthy fear versus unhealthy fear um, of God, there were, there were kind of three things that I thought are important for this tension between love um, and fear. And the first is that I, I think fear, uh, when it's a healthy fear, the reverential awe, the, the true understanding of God's holiness actually causes us to draw near to God, not to shrink back from him, which might feel counterintuitive, but I would love your, your thoughts or pushback or yeah, thoughts on that. Larry? Yeah, I think think in principle I I would agree with that. Um, Again, I'm I'm trying to just reconcile that with, again, some of these uh, encounters that you read about. Even with Jesus in the New Testament, I was struck as I was reading through, again, Mm. preparing for some of this, how there was those moments when, when... the disciples saw Jesus for who he really was. Mm. It shook them. Like, yeah. remember it was early, I think it was in Mark 4 maybe, when he stilled the storm with, mm. you know, just peace be still. And um, they, the disciples really didn't know what to do with who mm. is this that controls even yeah. the, the winds and the waves. Yeah. Or there's that other account early, I think it's early in Luke, when Jesus... Um, tells them to cast their nets on the other side mm-hmm. and uh they, they cast this huge catch of fish and peter comes out and um and says um when he understands who jesus is that he has this type of power he says go away from me because i'm a sinful mm-hmm. man mm-hmm. which i think is interesting at the end of john when he comes back around and he does the same miracle yeah. after the resurrection and this time he's out to restore peter mm-hmm. and said you are a sinful man but yeah. I'm greater than your sin, yeah. uh, which is a very powerful way to prepare someone to go into ministry, which yeah. Peter did in the early church. So mm. um, I I think um, 
I do think, obviously, with the disciples, seeing Jesus for who he was, it did draw them deeper into mm. life with him, and it made Jesus to them like no other. Yeah. And they fought, they gave their lives for him. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing, and I'd love your thoughts on this, Lisa. I think one of the maybe caveats to that, that that might be helpful, too, is that so many times I, I hear people say, God accepts us just as we are. That always makes me feel a little uncomfortable when mm-hmm. you talk about God's holiness and that I think um, God invites us mm-hmm. just as we are. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the call to follow Jesus is a call to be transformed and to, yeah. to grow. And so I think the fear or reverence for God can play a healthy role in that, that um, as holy as God is, if it demonstrates our sinfulness to us, and yet we still see an invitation from this holy God mm-hmm. to... Um, to be in relationship with him, then that can be a source of, of transformation for us. So I, I think that's maybe where I think the holiness fear of God could draw us closer. Um, the question is whether or not we would be willing to admit that about ourselves, but thoughts or reactions. To that yeah. As you were just talking about that, it, it made me think about um, kind of that transition for me when it became about um, yeah, accepting God into my heart versus mm being a part of God's bigger story. Mm. And I do feel like there is that, the element of good fear in that, that it's, and kind of that awe of like, he is moving all of these things and I can choose to be like, get in the river, get out. But I'm, but I don't, I don't get to choose where it's going. If that makes sense. Um, that it's so much bigger than I am. And, and he is the King. He's not just my friend. Um, and he's, you know, my savior, but he's, he's Lord. Yeah. Um, and so I think, that, again, that's a, obviously another um, tension that we could have a whole <laughs> podcast about. Um, but I do think that there is, um, that that kind of draws us in, that we can be a part of this bigger, a bigger thing. And I think that that is a huge um, kind of, I guess, back to what you were saying, Larry, of, of holiness can bring people in and not, and not hell mm-hmm. that, kind of being bigger, something being bigger than ourselves, mm-hmm. that kind of that idea of evangelism, showing people this bigger story and that yeah. they get to be a part of that and and move into that, I feel like is huge and taps in, into people in a way that like bad fear yeah. doesn't. No, that's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so second, I, I think potential application of this conversation first is that, that fear causes us to potentially draw near and not shrink back from mm-hmm. God. But the, the second is that I think a healthy fear of God uh, causes us to not fear things that we shouldn't fear. Mm. And so, so much of this podcast, we've been talking about things that, that believers are afraid of and, and how scripture tells us not to be afraid. Um, and I think it was um, Oswald Chambers who said that when we have a healthy fear of God, and that this isn't an exact quote, but when we have a healthy fear of God, um, then it, it gives us the freedom to not fear the things that, that we are often so prone to fear. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think there's, yeah, would love thoughts on that, uh, of, of if fr- fear of God actually being a source of freedom for us, mm-hmm. potentially. Mm-hmm. When I think it goes back to that same piece of if there's this huge story and there's this huge river that's going, like other things are not going to interface with that. So the other two episodes we've done, my death is not going Mm, to stop this river. Big brother, the U S government, even Russia probably will (laughs) not stop this from moving. And so I think there is a ton of freedom in that, that you get to be a part of this bigger thing. Mm -hmm. Um, 
that you don't get to stop. Um, and this is a little bit tangential, but I think it, and I'm trying to connect it, but I was just listening to a podcast about, um, apocalyptic literature Mm -hmm. and they were talking about how you can't, you can't call Daniel, um, predictive because God doesn't predict, like he is Mm -hmm. going to do it. Like you can't, so it's, um, so you it's not can't like a guess exactly the, like yeah. it turns out like it's prophetic exactly yeah. and so yeah. and so that difference of like prophecy it's it's not a prophecy this is what's going to happen and so that tension um i don't remember where i was going with this you guys but either way <laughs> i don't what was i talking about no, you're, you're you're right you, I, okay that, thanks, it, it defines reality <laughs> yes thank you. it defines what's really true and what's really happening mm-hmm. okay yeah. And Thank we all you. need that because we're so prone to chase other things that right. we think we can control and make things happen. Yeah. Yeah. And when I yeah. think of, uh, again, to some of the previous conversations we've had of, of the different things that that believers specifically can be afraid of, um, there really is one thing that, that we're commanded to fear in Scripture, and that's God. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and everything else that we fear in His place is really a in some ways a source of mistrust and mm-hmm. in, in who God is and, and a lack of fear for his holiness, his power, his mm-hmm. um, greatness, his glory leads us to, to a place where, man, it, you know, we really do have to be worried about what's going to happen in our country or with our life or with all these things, because our God isn't bigger than those things. Mm-hmm. And so when you can capture that transcendence to your point, Alyssa, it doesn't matter where we step in or out of the stream. God's the one directing the, the mm-hmm. stream. So that's good. Um, I guess the last thought for, for maybe application is again, the, the uh, relationship between love and fear. And I, I think it's important to note that oftentimes uh, the church cries out for revival, wants more people to, mm-hmm. to come in relationship with Jesus for, for people to be restored, for, for justice to happen. Um, so many times throughout history, when you see that take place, it often begins where we've been talking about today with a healthy fear of God. This encounter with transcendence, recognition of our holy, or of our lack of holiness and our sinfulness, um, that then leads to this revival and, and deep love of God. And so, um, I guess maybe a place that we could close on is, is what might that look like for the church to recapture this idea of a healthy fear of God in the hopes that we might draw near. Um, not for the things we shouldn't, but that so we could actually see more, more life uh, that, that Christ has promised us. Any thoughts on that? Well, uh, I've done some reading, yeah. uh, especially I've been enamored with, uh, especially Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield, mm. and what's interesting in their preaching that sparked revival. I read somewhere once that it was like. Eight out of 12 of the early colonists had heard either Edwards or Whitfield oh, preach. Wow. So in my view, and I've said this before, that I, I think it was Whitfield and Edwards that made America you know, a, a Christian mm. nation, quote unquote, <laughs> yeah. at the beginning. Yeah. It was not the, uh, the, the eventual leaders. Uh-huh. Um, but Whit, if you study their preaching, what's interesting is that they preach the love of mm. God. Um, they preach that God, His love is like no other love, mm-hmm. because it's a it's a love that comes from this person who is pure, mm-hmm. this God, and yet so willing to come down mm-hmm. and um, send His Son Jesus, Jesus take on flesh, mm-hmm. and all of that is to live a righteous life that He gives to us, so that when God sees us, it's like. 
you're holy, you've, you're righteous, you've lived it. And then the death of Jesus to forgive mm-hmm. our sins. So I think in, in preaching the love, they preach the cross. The cross mm-hmm. is what brings holiness and love together. Right, yeah. And so once we have that understanding that... And to me, they all come together in like the first line of the Lord's Prayer. Mm. Our Father who art in heaven, mm. hallowed be your name. So once Jesus connects us to relationship with the Father, we praise and spend the rest of our life praising his holiness. Mm. Um, this is this is a God like no other who loves with a love like no other. Mm. That's well said. Yeah. I can't add to that. Well, that's uh, <laughs> that's, that's, I just that's at revival. That's, right. yeah, yeah, that's, that's revival. That's revival. That's the yeah. revival that we're looking well, for. I, I think the deeper you go into those, that it is about understanding the holiness of God and this great love. And then when we compare ourselves mm. to that, um, how far short we fall, but how God closes that mm. gap. The deeper you walk into and I like I like to say at Waterstone, you never get over the gospel. Mm. You don't. Yeah. We think the gospel is ABC, and then you get on with your right. you're like, I think we have to be immersed in the gospel every day. Mm. The deeper we are, to the degree that we are, mm. is the, uh, the life in our soul. Mm. Yeah. I think that's really well said Mm -hmm. and a good place to wrap. So thank you, Larry. Thanks for taking on this hard topic with us and helping Melissa and I hopefully feel a little more comfortable. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Monday Morning Phone Call podcast. We hope that this show will spark conversation and that you'll share this episode with a friend. Join us on Instagram at WaterstoneCC and Facebook at Waterstone Church to continue the conversation and share your thoughts and opinions with us. This podcast is hosted by me, Paul Joslin, and Alyssa Frisbee. Today's show was edited and mixed by Lane Gerkink and produced by Emily Kloss. Special thanks to Larry Renault for joining us and sharing his wisdom. We'll be back with another episode in two weeks.